Hello and welcome to the 73rd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Call of Champions by Spacetime Studios. Gentlemen, who are you, and what do you do? Uh, my name's Gary Gaddis, and I'm CEO of Spacetime Studios. I'm Cinco Barnes. I'm the CVO, the, and uh, also the de- design guy for um, uh, Call of Champions. Excellent. Thank you for joining us both. It's, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to have people on. Of course it is, otherwise it wouldn't be much of a show. Uh, it's just me talking about stuff. So, um, how did you two make your start making flashy, lighty video games? How did you do your start, Gary? I came in uh, back in the multimedia days. So, back in the early 90s in Austin, I was working for an industrial design firm, and they were doing their presentations with this new slick technology called CD-ROMs. Uh, so that morphed into CD-ROM games. We did some interactive comic books and stuff like that, and it was it was pretty natural progression after that. I went to work for uh, Digital Anvil and then eventually met up with Cinco at Sony Online Entertainment. Wow. You really rattled through that. I mean, I do. <laughs> did you do anything when you were a child? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had an Apple II Plus right, uh, right into the garage and was, was programming little games in, in BASIC kind of back in the, in the early 80s. So you, you, you sort of really got interested back then and uh, did your thing? I did, yeah. I mean, if, if we're looking for a little bit more detail, then, uh, then I went to college at University of Texas and, and studied computer science and promptly decided, wow, that's really hard. I don't want to do that <laughs> anymore. Uh, I ended up in the School of Studio Art uh, because I liked creative stuff. And then I was like, wow, that's, that's really hard, too. I'm not a very good artist. Uh, but I still know how to use computers. And so when I got out of school, I tried to combine those two things with, uh, with, with kind of the new emerging computers used for design. Yeah, and there are some amazing indie developers out there that somehow managed to do all of the things by themselves. Absolutely. They're insane, but they do do it. And uh, so, um, sorry, both of you, did you? Oh, I'll I'll say. I would like to hear how Cinco got his start in the business. Well, it was the year of our Lord, 1981. (laughs) Wow. And the Apple IIe computer was was just available, as I recall. Uh, uh, So I come from a little town in Texas uh, called Del Rio, which is right on the border of Texas and Mexico, and it has its... uh, makes its fame uh, in the 20th century uh, by virtue of having some of the largest uh, international uh, radio uh, in, uh, in this hemisphere. Uh, and um, the, my, my interest in computers uh, grew largely because my father was a, a technical geek. My fundamental art is music. I always loved music and studied that when I was a kid. Uh, and when, when the computer happened, um, I really thought it would be a great mode for telling stories and all. So just like Gary, I got into programming uh, basic. I got some great tools early on and drew little pictures and told the story of uh, uh, text adventures were my thing. Mm -hmm. So I I, I got right to work putting you in the role of a uh, the camp counselor that arrived last to uh, a horrible 
horrible thing that had happened out in the woods or uh, a uh, security guard uh, where they uh, really shouldn't have delivered these uh, these patients to your little small town hospital. And mostly really dark stuff that was about me trying to get my teenage, you know, angst out someplace for people to play. And that was that was the 80s. And as a musician, you know, it was less fulfilling back then. And by the time, you know, my high school rolled around and I was joining bands and stuff like that, I pretty much forgot about making video games until I got to college and everybody that I hung out with by virtue of tabletop gaming and playing D&D and going to hardcore shows and, you know, you know guitar geeks and all that, we're all pretty much in the same thing and uh, we're programming and uh, like Gary, I learned right away, I was not in the right class. I was not supposed to be coding braces, brackets, forget it. I'm more of a... I'm a high concept, story driven, you know, more musical and rhythmic and proportions oriented sort of creator. And uh, from a compositional perspective, is still very excited about it, but learned in my college years that I needed to associate myself with uh, other very high, you know, high level people that did things like art and and coding. I think it was at the University of Texas here in Austin that I realized uh, that this is this is my thing. This is what I want to do. We have great companies here like uh, Origin uh, at the time uh, it was an independent company run by Richard Garriott. Um, Chris Roberts had put out uh, Wing Commander at that point, which was just amazing. The Ultima was was just storming through you know RPGs. It was a definitive RPG from my era, uh, and that was happening right down the street from where I went to school. So it was like really no question that that's where I needed to go and get my my first real job uh, out of college. So. What are your biggest influences as creators, do you think? What do you mm. think, what are the things you, you seem to orbit more than anything else? It's a very open-ended and tough question to answer, but um, what are your influences, do you think? I think art and, and music, and that's a, a pretty broad answer to a, to a pretty broad question. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I was always brought up with mathematics and, and logic being the focus and never really uh, exposed to the creative process until uh, until very late in my college career. And I discovered it. And I'm like, well, this is amazing. There's there's mediums that you work with. And the more that you understand the medium, the less the translation cost is between what you want to do and what actually happens. And I think making video games is, is very similar to that process as you go through and understand what the medium is, whether it's, uh, whether it's an authoring environment uh, or, or a, a tool set that somebody else kind of builds for you or a team of people that you work with. As you master that medium, then the translation cost between really what I want to do and the game that I see in my mind and the game that, that, that comes out becomes, uh, become, becomes less and less and less. So that, that whole creative process um, I believe is is probably the most inspirational thing for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had. I, I, when I look at it as a musician, I feel like there's specific folks that come to mind. I, when I was really little, uh, my mother would listen to Stevie Wonder a lot, mm -hmm. yeah. and I remember. Yeah, he's amazing, amazing. He's amazing, and I remember my mother asking me as a little kid, "So, do you hear that all? Do you hear all of that? All meaning not just the melody, but." In the arrangement, in the harmonies, in all the backing vocals and what the drums are doing. And, and all of that was really important for me when I was very young. And then I remember falling in love with Zork, too, and playing on my, my Apple computer, thinking that the proportions and the way that the story is told and the means through which I can interact is very different as a medium. But there is emotional intent at this core that a, that a composer 
is bringing together for a very specific message. So, I mean, as a game designer, I would say, you know, Stevie Wonder is actually quite influential to me. Similarly to like Garriott and you know, Miyamoto. And there, of course, I also grew up in an era of console games and big PC games. So there's enormous teams out there of people, you know, who made Warcraft and made uh, Half-Life that really changed the way that I that I looked at things. You know, from from one angle, I I was really inspired in the early part of my career because I was in quality assurance uh, and Delphine Software Interactive, uh, well, it, they had a game called Fade to Black and I was the uh, I was one of the testers on that game. And it was mind-blowing to, to be involved at that level with such high-tier developers and to be able to, to get immersed in such, a, in such a well-crafted game on a story, technological and, and, and graphics perspective. It really set the bar for the first, uh, the first things that I would, I would attempt to do in the industry. Um, I, Chris Roberts is also very influential in terms of that great space combat game. If it weren't for Wing Commander... There probably would be a whole lot less of me in this industry because once I played Wing Commander, um, I certainly loved it, but there was a whole other part of me that wanted to make it. And I wanted to make it differently. And one of the great opportunities of my career was to be a designer on uh, Wing Commander Prophecy and then to be the lead designer of Wing Commander uh, Secret Ops, which was Electronic Arts' first Internet-distributed episodic uh, story game uh, using the Wing Commander Prophecy engine. And it was it was just super fun to fly around on a spaceship and then be the guy, you know, with the other team making decisions about what should the laser be called and how often should it fire and how many points of damage should it do in this spreadsheet based around how much armor the different ships have. At that point, we're talking about me in 1996 or 1997 and just having that, the you know, the joy of my life starting to really dawn and all of that. So a lot of different influences, so many different games, too, whose whose core creators, I think, uh, sort of uh, disappear in, into that miasma of all of the, the quality creators and, and uh, hardworking people that made, you know, games, you know, like, you know, World of Warcraft, for example, and a very influential game late in my career uh, coming on, you know, coming after some stuff that I had done in the genre. Uh, and I think that, I know this goes for Gary, too. It doesn't really matter how long you've been working in this industry. Inspiration really is right around the corner. You never know when the next excellent game is just going to creep out there and, and, and show you new things and refresh your love of, of the whole industry. I think, I think Austin also, in particular, as a location, has been a very inspirational place for us. You mentioned Garriott's here, and certainly Ultimo is one of my favorite games. Yeah. Wing Commander, we wore out the seat in my roommate's chair. You know, <laughs> He'd get up, and, and I'd, I'd sit down. Uh, Warren Spector and, and Deus Ex was, was uh, an amazing early yeah, game course, to play. So these are very, very powerful games uh, that, that, that I played that had their creators that were in the same city that I lived in, and that was, that was very cool. Yeah. I mean, heady days that you were talking about there, I do remember, you know, at that time, I was a huge Wing Commander fan. I actually played it on the Amiga initially, then ah. I went over to the uh, PC, because I was holding out to Windows 95, because I didn't like Windows 3.1, and I actually preferred the Amiga up until then, uh, which is a reasonable thing to do, because kind of like the demo scene at the time as well. Um, and um, But anyway, and then there was X-Wing that came out at the same time as well. It's just incredible, the and free space all that stuff, that, 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 that space stuff was, was stunning. Uh, and it's oh, all yeah, free space. Yeah, and it's all coming back, of course. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a manner of speaking, I think. Star Citizen and Elite Dangerous are both uh, 
competing for people's attention, and, and is it in a good way? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of respect between both uh, both teams, and they're both releasing their games in very different ways. But yeah, I think your your answer is great. I I get all variety of different answers to that question. A lot of furrows, a lot, a lot of um, you know, hard to hard to really um, describe what really influences it. But I've had various answers, everything from their dog <laughs> to yeah. To, to to the universe itself, which is brilliant. I love that answer. Like, uh, the universe we are? The universe. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's a, there's a certain um, compulsion in, in that quality of exchange when you're, if you're a writer, yes. and you, you write, and when you know that your meaning takes purchase in your reader's mind, uh, that that sense of accomplishment, you know, like the 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 comedian who writes a joke that, when it's told, makes the audience laugh. And when, when, as a musician, to to play the riff that everybody thinks is super hot, those are the things that, as you know, creators, I think you get you get hooked on it. And you know, now that you know, once you understand that by creating a, a set of of conditions and you know, building building games in in data and their mechanics, uh, you elicit emotion and you have that that sense of of completeness as a as a communicator. Um, it's a, it's a hard thing to get out of once you've experienced it. You kind of never want to go back. No. So this next question, I think I know the answer to it already because you've hinted at it. And again, this is a common thing with developers; they seem to know what my questions are going to be before I answer them, either they're making bad questions or they're prescient. It'll be both. Um, who do you most admire in the industry and why? Who, who's the people? could be a company. It could be a person. It could be a group of people. Mm. I, I love Richard Garriott. Uh, his, 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 games are, his games are amazing. But he's just a really, really nice guy. He is, he's a genuinely caring individual. And he's moved out of, out of games to set, well, no, he's doing, he's doing another very cool game. Yeah, yeah, he's still uh, working on a bunch of stuff. Very talking, multi-talented talking guy. Talking to those guys, it's like the band's all back together again. Yeah. It sounds like it's a, a wonderful work environment. We know, we know a lot of those folks that are working with him. Too, uh, but he's also he's very forward thinking, and he's very involved in, in space industry now, and, and all these kind of stuff. He's been to the Titanic. He's been mm. I don't know where else, but up in space. Uh, he's been to space. So you know he's he's adventurer. Like his father did. So you know that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 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 an adventurer gentleman that's been very very successful uh, and and remains just a genuinely really really nice guy. So I, I would say that Richard's probably my my number one. Wow. Yeah, it's hard to think of the individuals outside of that who've been, you know, who who really look up to right now the the teams and and those who are who are slinging it out. I mean, we're we're close with people who develop it at at some of the major uh, companies out there, and I, and I think of them most of the time because we're all going through the same sort of woes here. And you know, I think about the. I think about sound developers for the most part. It's the un- unsung heroes of our industry. And I, we've got, uh, we had a great relationship with, uh, Wynn Phillips. She did, uh, the music for Call of Champions. I always wanted to work with her. And I, what she goes through project by project and trying to, you know, get that, you know, get great and get interactive music of the, you know, the, of the highest order into people. Uh, yeah, that's, 
that's what, a big deal. What did deal. she do also? What, what, what's her claim to fame? Well, she's, well, she's done uh, stuff like A Little Big Planet. She's yeah, done stuff right. like God of War. She wrote a book on all this stuff. Like That whole side of it, I really adore um, because I come from a musical background and, and have a, a deep respect for what she can accomplish creatively. But beyond that, it's the hustle and being that developer that you know even the design developers are not necessarily thinking about. Um, but when you put it all together, I mean, that's... That's that's really important. You know, the audio developers of of our of our industry are certainly some of the the, the biggest unsung heroes that there are. Um, that's it. You know, Warren was really awesome. I remember working. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren Spector was a guy back at Origin in the early days who had uh, the, the really the definitive. Uh, rules for for an executive producer for you know, anyone who would walk into his office with a a good idea to pitch with a passion uh, you know and their feet firmly on the ground about the the ideas that they were coming up with he was one of the more uh, encouraging uh, people uh, out there uh, you know on top of Richard I mean I love Richard and uh, you know there's so many so many instances we've had with him in particular where he's helped us um, Warren's another one of those guys there's so many I haven't met. And from the early days, I always wanted to meet Bert Kersey. He was one of the guys from a thing called the Beagle Brothers. And oh, yeah. they had the coolest, uh, uh, the most uh, interesting approach to basic uh, high-res graphics on those early Apple IIs. I, I missed, uh, missed meeting him. But, um, but yeah, there's, uh, there's really no, there's no end to the possibilities no, out there. There's, there's a lot of really influential, powerful I, I admire Notch very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made what I consider, you know, one of the best games in the world. Uh, I, I watch my kids play that. And it's oh, dude! Good oh, yeah. If you're going there, man, Scott Cawthorn. So just the other day, I'm playing uh, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's one, and I'm up because I've got heartburn, and it's like four o'clock in the morning here, <laughs> Texas time, and I'm playing this game because I heard it's one of the best games, and it's amazing. And of course, risking my life, I run to the master bedroom and wake my wife and and make her a cup of coffee and instruct her to play the game right away because I needed to see her reaction when the game scares the you know. The, 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 <laughs> It was amazing. It was a wonderful time, and we all enjoyed it. And it's the sort of thing that after you play products, like the real influence to me is, you know, well, Gary knows, because I'm in the next day saying, hey, here's an idea for a horror game. We really need to do this, and we got to do it right away. Maybe we can get it into Arcane Legends or, or Call of Champions, you know, by Thursday. And it's the kind of stuff that, you know, it, it happens now and again. Uh, but, yeah, Scott was actually one of those guys that I would put up there on that list. Yeah, that's great. Great developer. I mean, it's interesting you talk about music and, and, and how it interacts with games. And there's a couple of titles that I've recently discovered that make the music creation process, or you can remix the soundtrack to the game you're playing, yeah. depending on what you're doing. And the game I discovered was a game called Aero, which I will link to you about. It's just basically as if Skrillex made a video game. Bear with me, but it was basically dubstep, but you have. The baseline is actually interactive based on what the, the player is doing. They're flying through a tunnel in a, like a rail shooter, and it's a bit like Panzer Dragoon. And as you hit certain parts of the map or parts of the screen, the baseline kicks in, and you can actually scratch and do all sorts of crazy things while you're blowing stuff up. Nice. It's just so good. <laughs> hey, that's just awesome. <laughs> so, so good. I mean, when I, I actually went to an expo, a Eurogamer Expo, last weekend. And they were there, they had these four booths, and uh, they were constantly filled. And I, the, when I sat down, the developer said, put these headphones on, you have to listen to this. 
and I put the headphones. He was right. You you can't play it without the music. You just want to. You cannot play it without the music, and that was so so refreshing to hear. Yeah. Excuse, yeah, excuse the pun. <laughs> but um, no, great great answers. So last question of the first half. I know you got through for the first half. Well done. You're still alive. Um, there is a boss monster at the end of the <laughs> Um But uh, this is the first boss, um, and it's my favourite question because it gives you a hint maybe about what you find entertaining and also what maybe you're working on next, although highly unlikely. It's nothing to do with what you're playing or making. But what are you playing right now, excluding Call of Champions? What are we playing right now? Yeah, what games are you playing? What's distracting you away from... Uh, Looking after Call of Champions right now. Uh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Okay. So I am uh, in the process of finishing Five Nights at Freddy uh, Part 4. Uh, I'm, I'm also on my Xbox One. I am finishing all of the uh, Riddler uh, challenges for Batman in Arkham Knight. Right. Uh, I recently went through my purchase and my downloads uh, from my uh, from my iPad because I was I, I had we took it to a show recently and I, I blanked it and was reinstalling stuff there uh, and uh, rediscovered a couple of games that I really love one of them was uh, Two Dots um, mm, which is just a game. beautiful very elegant very it's a chill puzzler that I is really like hundreds or no not sure it's uh it's it's like a match it's a matching game oh, it's a very beautiful matching game very subdued. Uh, and it's a uh, it's sub- the subdued color palette and the way that it, it gets you immersed uh, is uh, it's just really really fun. And there's also um, uh, the name escapes me now, but uh, I got my old uh, the fishing app. There was this crazy uh, pocket fishing app that uh, was just cartoonish and beautiful and uh, one of the more uh, exciting exciting games. Fishing is it? Yeah. I'm sorry? Ridiculous, exactly. Thank you so much. Ridiculous but it's fishing, ridiculous yeah. fishing on my phone, which... Well, you uh, shoot the, the fish when you... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they've got it coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what were they doing in the lagoon anyway? Yeah, they're coming right at you. Yeah, come yeah they're coming right for us. For me, I, I consume video games mostly uh, as, as part of a family activity. So I got, I got two boys, 12 and, and 14, and we play a lot of console games. And the the lines have crossed where they are far better than I am now, which is which is discouraging to hear them talk smack at me mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Uh, but they love it. Uh, some of our favorite games, still Little Big Planet One. Uh, that is that's by far I think one of my one of my favorite games of all time. The joy of motion in that game is is incredible, and and a really really nice story, and and the soundtrack that was done by by yeah. Win is is amazingly powerful. Uh, Portal also. We're we're working our way back through to Portal. Portal again, and that you know that game. That really changed the way that I think about things. That's really a mind-bending game, and that's that's part of the beauty of video games. I think is because it can cause you to think in ways that you've never thought before. Yeah, I never forget Portal Two, and there's that certain co-op mission in Portal Two where you have to do something with the other player. I won't go. Into, it's a spoiler thing. I mean, no spoilers. spoilers. I'm not going to spoil it. Mm-hmm. Something, something happens, and I remember arguing for a good ten minutes with my. Um, with the person I was playing with, going, I'm not doing it. I don't trust you. It'll be fine. I don't trust you. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and um, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But it's just uh, terrific fun. Yeah, I good good um, good choices on them. There's a lot of indie games that have local multiplayer. I played a lot of those um, recently. Tower Four being the most recent one, most celebrated one recently. 
but there's a whole bunch of them coming out. Um, Nidhogg is another one. Um, they're really so much fun to watch and to play. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, for sharing that. I mean, we have a variety of answers. You know, we have developers who are working on hardcore RPGs. And what are you playing? Oh, FIFA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta take a break. You can't, uh, you know, that's the, the, the bane about video games is you really get absorbed in them. Yeah. And then start playing other video games, you start to dissect and criticize and try to understand and, and really take an analytical approach to it and you, you lose some of the fun. Yes. yes. And that's, and, that's and you're designing the FIFA RPG yeah, with all right. the sorted details of their private lives and it's, uh, it's great. It it's never right. Right. It's, really. It does. But you do let go, don't you? Otherwise you wouldn't play them. You just like, yeah, you okay. have to. Yeah. It's like film directors, I'm sure they sit there tearing apart a shot, like, why is it doing it? Why is it pausing there? They could let, let it go, let it go. Uh, yeah. Just just accept it for what it is. You're not directing it, someone else did. That's right. Okay. Well that's the first half of the show. Rah. We're now going to the second half where we get to the meat and potatoes of the show, which is definitely all about core first one is basically what I call a zero question. It's not really a question. I'm asking you, can you tell us about Call of Champions? Oh, you go ahead and describe that. That's yours. Cool. Well, Call of Champions is a mobile battle arena inspired by the classic MOBA with a five-minute time limit uh, and a new set of mechanics that replace the traditional minions and the traditional item shop in favor of making something that is extremely, extremely intense, focused on, on team fights. Uh, with a new meta that's uh, that's fresh uh, but but familiar to, to, to fans of the battle game. Uh, right now, it's out exclusively on on iOS, uh, and we've been enjoying a, a tremendous uh, feedback from the player base and from uh, critics alike. Um, and uh, very exciting product takes only seconds to get into and could take uh, forever to master. Um, we're really proud of uh, how the uh, game has come together. Brilliant. Gary, you got anything more to add to that, or uh, we can move on to the second question or the first question, if you like. Cinco uh, always talks much prettier than I do. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's it's a it's a it's a remarkably innovative game. It's a very very intense experience that really scratches the MOBA itch without the temporal commitment. So in, in our in our minds, it's it's the perfect play session length for for mobile. Uh, and that's actually spilled over into some other effects like uh, like streaming. It's proven to be very, very popular with streamers, and, and, and we've got some theories as to why. Yeah, I, I can see why. Can, I think, personally, I think uh, the reason why is that you can encapsulate a 45-minute experience into five, uh, and by doing so, you learn a lot about 
what draws people to this type of game. Because I'm fascinated by MOBAs. I know, Gary, I spoke to you about uh, what I'm working on, uh, a feature about um, uh, MOBAs in general. Uh, there are oh. many out there. Indeed, there are. I've played at least 16, 17 now. Uh, <laughs> yours, is, yours is one. So there's way more than just the four, everyone. Uh, <laughs> um, and... So I, I, I'm going to speak from authority here when I ask these questions. So the first one I have is when you were constructing Call of Champions, what parts of MOBAs, traditional MOBAs, MOBAs or elements of MOBAs that are there that you tried and you tried to, to, to get into Call of Champions? Like, you know what? We can't do it. It's stupid. It's undermining our vision. Can you give us any aspects of like, you know, let's try and get this in there because it's cool. It's funny, or what have you. And you know what? It's a, eh, we can't really do it. Is there anything you can think of? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> from from the from the start. So we we started this very blank page, and we knew because we've been successful with making uh, mobile 3D real time MMOs on iPad and iPhone and and stuff for for quite a while, and and seeing the PvP community or seeing how our community embraces the PvP in our Legends games had us thinking that we would want to do a very serious, a structured, serious PvP focused product if we ever got the chance, and that was Call of Champions. And so from the very beginning. Uh, we started with session length, and that was our first real governing factor and that we knew that we wanted to have a, a time limit. And then we did research and sourced that five minutes would be really good based around what we've seen uh, in uh, the combat sports, uh, in traditional combat sports, boxing, uh, wrestling, uh, mixed martial arts, and the variations of, of uh, mixed martial arts that have existed around the world for the last couple of uh, decades. And so the five minutes also is a great reflection of our personal experience developing the Legends titles where, you know, an individual dungeon in Pocket Legends is like a 10, maybe 12, 15 minute experience feels very small compared to running a dungeon in a typical PC MMO. But but that that fractional time and the related pacing of character motion and and all of the the content consumption mechanisms just just felt right. So that was the first step that got us rolling on on Call of Champions uh, as a as a PvP battling game. So the, the the rather than the 45 minute typical play session, which is what I have with Dota and stuff like that. You had to say, look, we can't have that. That's a that's a that's more that's a very long train journey. It's just not going to work. So that's something you couldn't squeeze into. Yeah, that's something that just didn't make sense from the form factor and from this the human factors of being a mobile gamer. Mm-hmm. My my mobile gaming habits are they're very they're very free. I run around, I'm in a lot of different places, and I'm on a couple of different devices, both my phone and in different cases I'm on my iPad. Uh, and it's just a very different way that the day is sliced up and what screen time I have to give towards gaming and the focus of my attention generally doesn't extend to the hour or multi-hour mark uh, anymore. And I don't think that that's necessarily, uh, you know, just demographically speaking, I think that has to do with my interest in continuing the game while I'm out and about and doing other things uh, in my life. Um, but, um, but yeah, that was a, that was a big fundamental thing. But 
of course, naturally, we wanted to have a team-on-team battle. We felt like the most exciting thing would be to force them to, to battle one another. And so we started going down the list of things that you would have in a game like this. And uh, the minions came up right away as a possibility. We have the technology to have very intelligent, you know, even boss-level type creatures running around making branching decisions based around the health of the team, where they're focused, what they're pinging on, all that kind of stuff. But it seemed silly. And what seemed silly about it was that I'm really trying to focus on the intimate person-on-person violence that's there in Call of Champions and that I've got Scorch on Team A and I've got Seraphine on Team B and they're going to be braining each other in the middle of the arena and that's got to have a lot of import. And when it's divided up amongst a bunch of other uh, heroes, and we see this even on, on screen in, in a great, great film. I mean, yeah, there's lots of people and lots of spears and all that kind of, of action going on in the battle scene, but it does come down to one commander and another commander, and so it just didn't fit. And in order to, to when we got those things out of the way, then we had to come up with a solution for all the complexities that we needed up against the towers because doing a uh, a push against the base with just a champion you know really wasn't going to make any sense and so so we started thinking about alternatives for that and that's where we came up with the uh, with the orb and the and the orb is is similar to like a payload mechanic you may have played in a uh, counter strike and the whole point of it is for the team to push and for the enemy team to push back uh, and have that orb manifest all of the tactics of uh, attacking towers, you know, nerfing uh, the towers attack. Um, and what we got out of it, because we needed to have, I guess, looking at it now, there's like five distinct stages of your approach that needed to be there for the tower so that you could juggle aggro, uh, so that you could use orb pressure, so that you could uh, you know, push the orb out, trapping the enemy close to the tower, or make your escape from the tower while doing significant damage uh, against it in the first place. Those combinatory uh, mechanics of strategy had to exist without the minions, uh, and so that, that became a major effort for us uh, to replace, but it just also didn't look right. I mean, we also came off of making these Legends games and battle games and having tons of, of little dudes running around really sort of requires a different form factor, a different field of view in order for it all to f- sit right proportionally uh, within the frame. And so I'm, I'm glad that we made that omission and that we came up with a, uh, a really cool alternative to that. It chews up resources as well. That's so in, very important. In looking at the platform and the, the, the computational abilities of the platform and really how much we wanted to push and how small a footprint we wanted of the of the game, it made sense to edit those those little guys out. Uh, the, the item shop and the lack of the item shop uh, I think came into being pretty naturally as well with our, yeah. with, our yeah. with our MMOs. We've got PvP that happens at the top end of the MMOs. Uh, and on some of these maps, some of the more fun maps, there's power-ups that spawn. And our observation of these power-ups is that is just that is a, a ton of fun to be kind of almost on uh, Death's Edge and then pick one of these things up and, and have that change the tide of battle. So we, we wanted those power-ups in the map, and we noticed that that was very redundant functionality with the item shop, and it was a lot faster way to get to to get to the desired effect, which was really just slightly change the balance of the game, which is enough to to totally change the outcome of the game. Yeah, I just wanted to draw that out from you. It is a MOBA, everyone, but there's key aspects of this game, or Call of Champions, I should say, that are not MOBA-like at all. They're inspired by the construct, 
but in fact they actually streamlined it quite significantly by getting rid of the creepers, getting rid of the chop, you know, your th- and you're getting rid of the leveling because you're presented with your character with all the things immediately. Why? Because you've only got five minutes to win. Or, and, and it wouldn't work if you were leveling up every 30 seconds because you were spending your time every 30 seconds putting points into abilities you don't know anything about. So, uh, it's, it's, you know. Uh, Chris, can I, ask you, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, okay, so you just mentioned, yeah, you, you say Call of Champions is a MOBA. Uh, we went back and forth on whether to call it that or whether to call it, you know, just a PvP arena or, or something like that. Right. Uh, why do you define it as a, as a MOBA? Oh, um, why do I define it as MOBA? Because it has traits to it that um, require team play. Um, you're not the centre of the universe. You are still um, part of a team battle, and you have to work together in order to, to overcome the other side. And also, there are two bases either side, and there are channels. So there's some geography, there is the jungle, and that sort of thing. There are trappings that are similar to MOBAs that make me believe that Call of Champions is one. It's fair. Yeah, that is. It, it's, it's a pretty controversial title, and I think MOBAs yeah. are, are typically very, very hardcore games uh, that have had very, very similar game mechanics for, for a long time. Yes. And, uh, you know, us, us innovating on this has been, uh, has been both really well-received and then, uh, you know, really threatening the, the hardcoreness. Of, uh, of of some people as well. Yeah. Uh, so well, I'm I, sure I've you've got some pushback from certain parts of the community, and that's to be expected. But then again, you as creators know that in order to make things, you could have to put your head above the parapet and be prepared to stand by your work, which you yeah, obviously totally. do. What happened when we made the MMO? I mean, right. when we put out Pocket Legends and say, this is an MMO, because of essential reasons that, that you were talking about. Characters, cooperation, the boss fighting, all the loot acquisition and the grind. But certainly, there were those who thought that it couldn't be because, A, it's on a phone. Yeah. And then, yeah. B, B, it's also on a phone. And C, it's... <laughs> But D is where it gets interesting because those are short sessions. You can't have short sessions. And then also E is that you can't have more than N number of people on screen. And everybody knows that an MMO has thousands and thousands of people and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, you're right. It's just it's the easiest way to describe something Start by saying Call of Champions is a MOBA. And, yeah, you want to get into the details. There are certain things that we do differently. But our core inspiration was... Uh, the battle and yeah. in an arena and a team to do it with and You've that's got channels, gentlemen. You have channels. Yeah, the channels well, too. It's critical. You know, I'm not asking for people to push mid. There's no mid. What? There's just stuff top and bottom. But you know, and and you have jungles and they have power ups and but you have team play. That's what really matters. That you've got team play and that's what people are drawn towards mobas and and battle arenas is that you're actually working together. For a common aim. That is why raids in, in WoW, that's why I love doing the raids, even though reflection they're insane. Me and 39 other people were trying to take down this dragon. And I still remember it to this day when we managed to do it. So this, yeah. you know, you know, it's... Great time. Great moments. Great moments in, in gaming history. So my next question, it gets tougher, I told you it gets worse, is this... Um, Tell us about the prediction technology used for online play, because Gary spoke at length about this at PAX, and I did write a little bit about it uh, on my feature about 
Hall of Champions, which you can read everyone on, on spong.com. Um, but could you tell us a little bit more about it? Because this is probably one of the criticisms laid, labelled against it would be, hang on, you're playing over 3G or sometimes even worse. How's that going to work? It's a MOBA. I need like split second timing. Could you tell us a little bit about that? How you overcome that problem? Uh, it, it, I think it starts with, with Star Wars Galaxy's jump to light speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Cinco was was a principal that you wanted to do. Sure, about? yeah. I think what Gary's talking about is that we have a lot of uh, technical solutions for running really light on the server. We keep an extremely extremely low ping, and and, and we do broadcast this in the client too. So we have you know sub quarter millisecond ping, and the uh, um, the I guess what we're talking about here is the the prediction. And how what we're doing basically by having a little bit of physics on the motion, a little bit of acceleration, you know, being able to use some of the parameters of the user's control to predict where things are going does come from some of our earliest stuff. This is years ago before we even started working together on uh, at Space Time Studios. We were saddled with the problem of having, having to create a very large scale uh, projectile shooter for Star Wars Galaxies, and we succeeded with this uh, by virtue of, of creating, you know, this kind of system whereby, you know, there's, um, there are measures of, of physics that are handled in the acceleration, deceleration, rotation, and other movements for each of the avatars. Those are understood on the server. A number of possibilities are kind of limited from a numerical perspective, and then where to predict that where you're going to wind up uh, really requires us having a really great bit of server code. And we've been doing that on many iterations uh, since uh, the early 2000s. And the core technology from uh, our game, uh, which started with a product called Blackstar, which was always intended to be a projectile-driven, uh, you know, high-latency type of game, uh, that let us really hone our chops in what sort of information is being thrown around. I think a lot of the early mistakes that people make in putting together this sort of code is not knowing precisely what it is that you're going to need moment by moment. And you don't always have the designers with the experience to know there's a ton of this packet that just does not have to be sent, and you could really be much more efficient about that. So having gone through many iterations of this, we have a very, very light stream of data that's going back and forth and a client that is lockstep with the prediction model uh, that keeps it uh, keyed in with where the server positions are for everybody. It's very interesting timing on this question, Chris. I'm actually right now involved in a Twitter conversation with somebody that's playing in Germany, and they're saying they've got 150 uh, millisecond ping time. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And he's like, no, this is terrible. You can't play a mobile with 150. Have you ever played a mobile with 150? And, and really, it is. It's 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 a lot of the predictive modeling. It's a lot of the latency masking kind of stuff. These these are things that we've developed over the last five years with our with our real time PvP in the Legends games too. It feels it feels uh, it, it feels fine. Uh, I mean, we can go up to uh, a half second mm-hmm. ping time, and it still feels tight because uh, because of all the kind of stuff that's going on under the hood and, and the lightness of the of the of the client. I just want to draw it out because, again, you know, I've expanded on that originally. And it's something that, you know, I've actually experienced while on the train and it works. You know, I, I hit a bridge and it's just gone. Sorry, but it's like the signal's gone. But it's not your control. It's like, yeah, sorry. But still, I managed to, you know, turn the game around because I didn't really get disconnected. It was really impressive. So uh, thanks for that. 
than working that, that in, into the game because without it, it would have been it would have been worthwhile. It would have been an exercise of utility. Because, you know. Right. There are there are other concerns that have to be executed on a creative basis, where both the having having the the server code that we have is obviously an an enormous advantage that space time uh, possesses, uh, but also the the team is aware that. Warm-ups, uh, the actual effect uh, play, you know, certain certain decisions that we made surrounding planting characters prior to executing certain skills. All of this stuff accumulates to make the responsiveness feel really great. And so we're not trying to do the same sort of gameplay that you would expect everywhere, but having adjustments for the way that each of these characters works to make it feel like it fits like a good piece of music. It all has to be in the same key. I mean, everything that we're doing from the interactive portion, uh, the way that the characters move, the wind-ups, the impacts, all of the effects, all the sounds that go along with it, that plus the way that the server handles higher latencies actually need to be tuned together into a singular experience. And that's something that we had many, many, many months ago and got it to a place that felt really properly balanced. Not necessarily numerically balanced in terms of whether character A is appropriate against character B, but balanced in terms of the way that it just felt right, like a good song, you know, or just a good beat. It just felt like it was a good natural cadence where everything fit together. So those are also critical things, too. I mean, having, you know, a Cadillac of technology doesn't mean you can just, you know, have crazy design requirements. I mean, you need to you need to think about your audience and make sure that the whole piece works as a whole. Yeah, I was about to counter with the glib, except if it's jazz. But that's just. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, indeed. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what video game equivalent would be jazz. Uh, We can think about that another time. So I'm going to go sort of very sort of deep down into statistics. It's one of the lovely things you can do about pulling out data from the play from now the game's out. You probably haven't waited the time, or some of you are, pulling out all this play data about how much what's happening. And one of the things I want to ask you about, because I'm finding maybe it's just the way I'm playing the game or the people I'm playing against, but I'm finding a lot of timeouts in games rather than actually taking out someone's base. What's the kind of statistics are you getting from that? Is it more one or the other? Is it 50-50? Is it 75? I mean, what are you finding? What sort of things, what data are you... It sounds like a bit of a dry question, but what I'm asking is, what kind of things are you getting back from the thousands of plays that are now occurring? There, there's some wild variations, and I'll be honest, there's some stuff that we noticed that we didn't like about the way that the battles were coming, and so we decided to undertake a pretty massive effort uh, with respect to our, our matchmaking. There were some very clear improvements that we could make to how our versus and our ranked matchmaking uh, could, could work. And the reason why we decided to go this direction was exactly what you're talking about here. In certain cases, you know, when we do a server wipe, when we were still in our beta phase, we would have some of our top players come in, getting matched with uh, not such, not the greatest players to middling players within the, the leaderboards and stomping them entirely and, you know, seeing a lot more of the base kills and a lot of stuff that seemed really one-sided. 
as we got into some ranked and we made some uh, pretty clever but small improvements to the way that our solo ranked matchmaking worked, we saw that the uh, the battle started to get a lot more contentious and a lot fewer rolling of the bases, a lot more coming down to time, a lot more of them coming down to individual champion kills and structure damage. And this is what we want at this phase is what we're trying to do is we're trying to get our most competitive players uh, battling against other of our most competitive players. So they need to be together. We see some, very, like I mentioned, very clear improvements that we can make about this because what I'm seeing statistically is it's, uh, it's wild and a little random. I would expect that your first few versus matches are going to involve some pretty definitive kills because we're sorting out uh, the higher level from the lower level players. But as you start to accumulate a number of matches, my expectation is that you would see what you're seeing right now, which is much more evenly matched games where yeah. you wind up, you know, zero towers, you know, three kills to two kills. And yeah, it's like, like, a, like an attrition thing. Everyone yeah. knows where they stand, and within by the time they hit like two thirds of their hit points, off they go running back home. Like what? Like no, nope, I'm not having this. And just run, you know, out of there because they right. know when to run. They know when to run and fight again, sort of thing. And yeah. it's just it's the, not. It's, it's, the it's best still, player that I've that I've observed don't do that. No, they very very <laughs> rarely do that. I've seen them with just a pixel of health run around and do other things, whether pick up power-ups and then channel it for their team, or yeah. dash back and, and play support, let somebody else take the, the, take the tower aggro. Uh, so yeah, that is, that is kind of a, a newer player uh, uh, thing to do, and I think that players learn that that's not the best tactic later on. No, uh, I think what I find is I brought a lot of baggage over from other MOBAs, and I do mean baggage, uh, because the, 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 the types of play, I'm a, I'm a turtle player, I don't actually get involved, I just, I just aid the overall battle, but I'm rarely at the front. I'm usually playing a ranged character and that sort of thing, just to basically thin the creatures that are attacking us. But there's no creatures attacking us. Well, there are. There's the big heroes attacking us. So it's like a... I kind of balance that. But I know, I I, I found a lot of people actually do that um, the games I've played. They they reach a point where they're low on health and rather than continue the fight and give me that kill... That they regard it as feeding the monster in inverted commas by running off, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, which you know gives me an advantage because then I start pushing the orb their way. But mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So um, my final question, they actually kind of answered it uh, in, in a way that uh, but I just want to know what were the things that really during your early days of development and balancing, what were the things that really surprised you that you needed to really address that you thought. Mm. Oh no, this would be fine. And then when you actually went and got to design and got to actually start playing it for realsies, did you feel that, oh wow, no, we were wrong on this one? Is there any particular elements of the game that uh, you really had to revisit? Yes, a <laughs> lot. Well, um, so one in particular was the power ups. Early on, uh, the power ups were strictly a mechan- mechanism for the champions to become individually stronger. Um, We added the ability for champions to channel the power-up in the very center of the arena to get that same ability to the rest of their team, which we figured would be pretty cool. But 
It's not good game design because the primary objective is for you to take down towers and kill the base. And if you have a stronger champion, that may or may not help you. Champion kills and champion survivability doesn't matter when the towers are down. So what we wound up doing after a lot of play and a lot of feedback, actually from the from uh, professional gamers that we recruited onto the design team, we made a lot of changes to how channeling the uh, power-up would then uh, double your orb pressure. So once you had the power-up, it was certainly immediately individually useful, but channeling it to your team meant you could one on two with uh, a lane or take two on two and push the orb past defenders or for that matter scoop the orb out from behind somebody who was attacking your tower and completely ruin their day when that meta was affected it really changed everything about the game and that was of critical importance on top of that, there was a lot with the towers where we discovered that the tower on the outer side towers needed to have a significant amount of armor on them because at about the midpoint of if you whittled the tower down, let's say, you know, 30 to 50 percent, uh, it became really tempting to skip the orb mechanic entirely and just uh, do sacrifices to dump as much DPS as you can against the tower, wait through the respawn timer, and then go out there, rinse, repeat. And that seemed really cheap. And again, with help from the uh, the pro players on a design team and a really great uh, design team, uh, we came up with some more complicated mechanics that we think are are very visible and and easy to 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 get for the for the savvy team, but really make a difference. And that the only way that you can backdoor those towers is waiting for them to have just maybe a couple of pixels of health, because otherwise everybody is going to get impaled against that uh, that sixty percent uh, armor buff and just be done. Yeah. If there was. If there's anything else that was a huge change throughout development, and the big thing for me as uh, as a director was not getting what I wanted with various champions. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I love I love the battle game, and I wanted to make certain changes. Like, for instance, we have this uh, demonic character named Cinder, and she's a beautiful, you know, red demon girl with these big red leathery wings, and she shoots fire, and the iteration that the public saw is a pretty well-balanced mage kit that is about, you know, it's got an escape, it's got some cool skill range stuff, great combos, um, but she had an ability I really wanted to keep, which is a tail whip, where she was able to take her tail, throw it out, and grab somebody and drag them into close proximity. Well, I thought this made sense. But I think everybody who played her as a serious player was like, this is stupid. I don't want to be a mage pulling anybody near me. I've got, you know, three quarters of my abilities are about throwing things out at like nine game units or 16 game units. Then you've got this one really cool ability that brings my enemy right up to me. And I'm like, hey, and then they kill me. So I had to skip that. And this isn't the only one, but there have been a variety of things where... Uh, because of, I, I don't know, maybe it's that I'm an executive now, but I have these ideas, and I ask the design team to do them. They're good sports. They do them, and then it turns out that they were feeble concepts to begin with. And she was she was one. Since then, the big lesson has been to start with and stick to a very simple sort of uh, a kit. And from my perspective, it's rock and roll. Three chords and the truth, just something that defines the character. And from there... 
we then discover those things that are really nice and, and meta-breaking that, that really give it that special edge. You know, like uh, the, the character that we, we released just a week ago, Nova, she's a mage. And we kept her kit very much together, very very straightforward with laser beams and, and area attacks. And the one thing we wanted her to do was to shoot a beam all the way across the arena so that she could be the one to get those Hail Mary kills against the base or that, that last second uh, tower takedown and that kind of stuff. And that worked wonderfully. And the upcoming champions are that too. They, they have kits that you understand. They make sense with the archetypes, but they have a special feature or two that uh, defy the meta of Call of Champions as you've played it so far and really refresh the game board uh, in some exciting ways. And I'm, I'm hoping that stuff uh, pays off because, yeah. yeah, it should be fun. It should be. Because um, that's uh, the last question. I know. Sad. Yeah. All right. Must come to an end. <laughs> that uh, was the boss. Sorry? It's a good question. It's a good question. That, that was, was the boss. That was the boss question. That was All the boss. Right. You made feels, Yeah, it feels well. good slaying that one, doesn't it? <laughs> but it, it's a it's a it's one that uh I, I developed because I knew that was the biggest struggle. You got a a, a a player versus player game and when you've got that human beings being horrible creatures that we are and the top of the food tree to the point where we're actually out of the food train, which is amazing, if you think about it. Um, <laughs> mm. um, we uh, we can do some horrible things to each other. So to to get that balance right and still make the game entertaining and worthwhile is very, very hard. And uh, I think you've done it. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so the game's out on iOS right now, but it's heading to Android. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, but that's strictly a, a mobile game. No, no, no hopes for any other platforms. Will never be on PC. I think it's it's Doesn't it's a work. competitive game. It's important to have a level playing field kind of across the board. And once you once you introduce PC, then you've got macroing and all sorts of other kind of concerns that that, that change the playing fields. Yeah, let PC have their games. They got them. They got plenty yeah. of games. This is this is fine. This is for mobile, and it'll stay that way. It could work on DS though. It's got to be said. But I guess so. I really I haven't I haven't held a DS in a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But um. That is free to play didn't explain that did we um but the model is similar to league of legends i can't remember what's the model closer to world of tanks world of league tanks. Of yeah yeah okay. so no no pay to win that's also very important uh it's a it's a grind it's a grind to go through you you get xp and gold and if you want to achieve those things faster then uh then you can pay to get a premium account and you'll get a bonus on the xp yeah it's what i call acceleration measure exactly it's not uh, um, pay to win or indeed um, pay to function. <laughs> so, no, it's, no, it's really not. Uh, an interesting story from from TwitchCon. So we just got back from TwitchCon. Right. Uh, we were there. We had a had a big booth, and we were running a King of the Hill tournament, and giving away a couple of iPad Air twos at the at the end, and then at the very end, whoever was King of the Hill got to play against our professionals. So uh, Snoopa, Boy Boy, and Phantom Lord are, are guys that we've been working with during the development of this game, and and so we're bringing a team of three you know, unknowns to play against these guys. And uh, one of the kids that was in the booth, uh, he goes by the, the codename Eclipse, I believe, uh, he went home after the first day and played 80 games of Call of Champions mm-hmm. and leveled his guy up to, to Tier 7. So really, in the course of you know, six or seven hours, grew to a level of, of mastery in the game. And those guys actually had very exciting matches and, uh, and went through to beat the pros 2-0 to zero in the finals. Brilliant. That's what we want to hear when you want to know your audience um, 
destroying your own developers. <laughs> oh, they killed it. It was cool. They was killed cool. it. It was great. They're bloodthirsty. Just <laughs> cold, the cold and calculating. So I love these kids because, I mean, they're like a quarter of my age or whatever. It's just There's young, young people. And the way that they very carefully map out the strategy and the communicate to one another and just execute like, uh, you know, like a professional, you know, it's really great to see that. It's another level of video game play, which uh, long since left, left me. Oh, yeah. yeah that's that's oh, that's not me. I'm screaming at Batman. <laughs> I, I'm yelling at Batman about how bad he is at driving. How is he so good at standing on a wire over Gotham? But he can't he can't drive the Batmobile without crashing into Gotham City Police Department. Anyway, <laughs> whenever I think of Batman now, I've just got this wonderful picture of this comic book Superman versus Batman, and uh, Superman says, "Look, I know you've got this list of reasons why you're better than me, but all it says on it is I'm Batman." <laughs> 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 and on that note, yeah, um, I'll leave you to. To the rest of your day. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. Chris, it was, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much. You're more than welcome to come back on and tell us about your next venture, whatever that may be. But I uh, wish you the very, very best of luck with Call of Champions. I do thank you very much for making it and unleashing it onto the world. Um, I'm having a great time on it, and uh, I'll continue to continue to do so. And right. so should everyone listening, because it's awesome. It's good fun. So uh, yeah, again, thanks very much for being on the show. It was our pleasure. Indeed. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye